a Democrat and a Republican walk into a bar hosted by Big Mouth Media. And I am your host, Democrat, Dr. Sydney Banier. And I am your co-host, Republican Sean Hartman. How's it going? Absolutely fantastic. I heard you got back from Orlando recently. I did. I just got back here at 4 o'clock for our show. <laughs> set up. I unfortunately broke my headphone on the way in, but was visiting with my good friend, Dr. Karen Jackson, who is visiting our great state from oh, North nice. Carolina. Nice. Yeah. I was just visiting my grandparents, helping them with some printer issues. And then it's my grandma Marilyn's birthday today. So I oh, called her. Oh, happy birthday, grandma yeah, Marilyn. Yeah, if, if she's we'll listening, I don't, I don't know if they're listening or not. I did let my dad know that. Scoot over we're... a little bit more. Than <laughs> There's a naughty word behind we're you. We're trying, trying to keep to it up. at least PG-13. So I'm trying to censor, if you will. The sense has had. But I'm so glad you spent some time with your grandma. I always love great. spending some time with my grandparents, and then I wish my grandmother happy birthday. So it's been a good week. It's been a good day, good week. Seeing and die was, of course, this Friday, so finally, this latest session's over. Ooh, yes. So, what a fun experience for that. Yeah, and I think, so I actually still want to go through and see what ended up passing versus not. Yeah, we need to do a full yeah, in, but it just... a ton of stuff that came mm. through this session. Just and there's talk. a lot of stuff. I know we've already talked about a few bills, but I think we should, our next week's episode, we should just really use that to dedicate to what bills were passed, what bills didn't pass, and come up with some, have some discussions on those. Because uh, I know yeah. we wanted to definitely talk about the debt ceiling this time. There's a few other issues that we're always talking about. Right. So <laughs> with the news stories these days, you can be like, oh, we can do this. But then something happens it and then changes it so ch- quick, yeah. changes very quickly. So quick shout out to our host here, Ollie's Rutgers mm. and Beer. They're open Sundays. They have a comedy workshop in the evening. They have a new owner at the record store. So they're doing a lot of great stuff over there. Come check them out. Um, they have great events coming up and they'll be hosting our June 18th event. Yep. Where we're working with some comedians trying to bring some liveliness to yeah. the bipartisan debate exactly there's two two wonderful comedians down here sheena reagan and chris proya who has himself has a podcast with big mouth media we're going to be do we're going to be co-moderating that debate we're really excited to see how that goes and we're still of course in the planning stages but it's going to be june 18th june 18th yeah and this is going to be a special event we're going to sell tickets for folks but if you are a member if you are subscribed to big mouth media you will get into the event free exactly that's with any of our subscriptions if you have a subscription to a dvr or if you get one of our everything subscriptions where you get access to all of the content from mm. all of our shows then you get in as well so this is an opportunity to meet other folks who are interested in having political discussions have a little bit of fun and it's definitely one of the perks of being a subscriber to big uh, mouth media yep so check that out at bigmouthmediafl.com and so where are we going to start today? And there was actually something you wanted to reel back to a couple weeks ago about when the Reagan-Lincoln dinner was here in town. Oh, I don't even remember. You want to talk about that a little bit? The Lincoln-Reagan dinner? We could talk about the Lincoln-Reagan dinner. I did get a chance to, I don't even remember, honestly, how it felt. It was apparently a very good event. I didn't really, I did watch the speech on RSB, uh, and I honestly don't remember it now. But it was a very typical, if you've seen one Trump speech, you've seen them all. There was a lot on media. There was a few things where I thought he was going above board. And again, I now I can't even remember it. He kind of caught me. Because the, the content was, one thing that I, we had talked off air about was some of the interesting things that happened with Trump while he was in town here. This was downtown Fort Myers at the Calusa Sound. Um, and there were folks who were waiting. So the dinner itself was a ticketed event. Maybe yes. Fundraiser for the local GOP as political but there was a protest. There was a protest outside, wasn't there? Yes, there was a protest that I was a part of myself and a handful of other folks. Just my my angle was I wanted to have accountability and make sure that mm. our, we have our democracy is in place and people who I was particularly focusing on around January 6th and the, uh, everyone involved should be held accountable for that. So that's mm. what I was saying. The discussion that we were having that was interesting yeah. was, so I was there with a handful of other protesters and I have an amplifier and I'm saying my thing. I'm really trying not to like be nasty. The people, some, a lot of people are pretty nasty back to me, but that's okay. What I thought was really strange is there was this pathway to where Trump's car was going to enter into the Calusa Sound yes. Center. And there were people who were supporters that were lined up on the sides of the road going into the building. And it looked like 
most other similar gatherings like this, people had flags and hats. And yeah. Blah, 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 blah. So there was a few things that like I thought was strange happening with that. One of them was that as I was engaging with folks and saying my piece with my microphone, there was a few people that were really like agitated and like getting back and engaging with me. And then there was a whole bunch of people who were just looked so disinterested. And I thought that was really interesting. Strange. You thought you found it to be strange, but I then there was something, it was something after that when we were talking about, cause now I know what we were, what right. we were wanting to discuss. Yes. So what was, <laughs> so then the Trump drives by, right. And everybody's waving and you know, my other protester folks were w- waving or whatever and doing our thing. And then as soon as he drives by, everybody left like that to the extent that myself and the other protesters are just left standing there with the cops. Like there's no one else around. On the so they basically, they see Trump go by and then they all leave. They're gone. Now, right? just so everyone also understand at this time. So this is in downtown Fort Myers, a very busy, cool part of the area. And they were doing music walk that night music too. Walk. So it's like the whole <coughs> streets are blocked off. There's musical acts, there's food, there's beer. People are having a good time. That's actually where you saw the Trump come out and go to the yeah, that's downtown what, house. If you pizza. went to, if you see the photos of him giving people pizza that you've seen all over social media, that was here. That was at honestly one of the best pizza joints yeah, here in Lee County. Let's be honest. D Hop, downtown house of pizza, amazing pizza joint. But that's where that happened. And so it was a big event. And so it was very curious that, according to you, now, mind you, I wasn't there. I was neither at the ticketed event because it was $350, and I do not have that kind of money. And again, I have, if you've seen one Trump speech, you've seen them all. And I have. I've actually had the opportunity in 2016 to go to a Trump rally. I shook his hand and everything. It was the exact same speech that I keep hearing. It's just different tweaks and different variations. It does seem like he's getting a little bit more extreme now on certain things, but but what struck you? But what struck what me? Here's what struck me is here's something. There's a story that that was very early on in Trump's campaign that has always stuck with me that I thought was hilarious, and that was the fact that there were paid actors at his initial escalator rally, the one where he goes down the escalator and he started his whole thing. There were paid actors there. It was discovered that there were paid actors there, and so I'm not saying that these were paid actors. And it does seem like you met. There are a few people there that you actually knew from from the Collier County community, yeah. but it's always very possible, and it's not something I would put past Trump because he's done it before. But it's very interesting that you're at an event, and then after his music walk, I don't know about you, but I would have gone out and enjoyed the music. Oh, that's what we were talking about. And then we the like, fact oh. that most of our, let's face it, most Trump protesters, they wouldn't react disinterested to you, especially right. if they were local. <laughs> And they knew you. Oh, that's right. There was one other thing that was really strange about this, right? Is when Madison Cawthorn came over. So Madison Cawthorn was a, a Cong- guest- former congressman from North Carolina, now lives here in Cape Coral. Right. He is. He has never represented Florida. He represented North Carolina. That's he key. Just moved here months ago. Okay. So yeah, he comes over into the crowd, and I I started. I sent a few comments. I know to know who he was, and he rolled in to talk to the folks. Keep in mind, he's in a wheelchair. I'm not yeah. being drunk. Sorry about that. He yeah, let's be clear. Yes, she's not being ableist. No, Madison no. Cawthorn is a uh, Yeah, so it's just, I can't use this. Anyway, so he's in a wheelchair. So he comes into the crowd. He's talking to people. And one of the guys in the crowd goes, oh, that's my congressman. I said, no, it's not. Your congressman is Byron Dunn. Mm-hmm. It's Makes like, it as if they don't know. He who... didn't even know. Yeah. And that's the thing. And it's not if you're not from here, you don't know who Byron Donald is. Byron Donald is a very well-known Congressman, and it's not even he's like an unknown, boring person like Francis Rooney. He's made himself a national name. Yeah, exactly. Fox News, CNN, all the time. So he's a household name now, whether you like it or not. He's not like it. Think about it. Like, if you're somebody who's coming to a Trump event, coming to a Republican event downtown, Mm -hmm. you're most certainly going to know who the congressman is. You should, yeah. Especially because he's there. He's going to be there. So that was like, I was like, do you? Like it was you seriously, this guy didn't even really know. And that's what made me think, gosh, it's really strange that the as soon as they went by, they, these people are all gone. Mm. Me and the cops were coming, we're chatting. We said, mm. hey, thanks for helping to keep everything peaceful. And then my myself and my other protester friends were like, hey, do you want to go get a coffee or go to, but they, no one else was around. Yeah. It was so strange. So it's definitely, and we've, I've been to my fair share of protests and rallies and stuff like that. After we usually go grab something to eat, it's very common. So it's not, it's definitely suspicious. I'm not saying it's actors. 
But again, this has been, Trump has done it before. And it's one of my favorite stories about him because it's just so funny. It's just like, it's, you hire actors to show up at a political rally. It's just well, like just the silliest like, thing. for him to get in there. Yeah, it's sort of <laughs> in that way. I don't know. It was just peculiar. And I wanted to share that with No, yeah, no. We wanted there. to make sure that got, yeah, you're right. I remember us discussing that. I don't remember. I should probably rewatch that Trump rally and see exactly what he said. But a lot of stuff. There was stuff yeah. about Flynn and. Roger Stowe was there as well. Let's get into all that. Uh, he gets, because yeah. I have a whole thing to say about them. <laughs> you also wanted to talk about a couple other things this week as well. But yeah, I definitely wanted to do the debt ceiling, but I did want to, or that, I know you were posting about the recent arrest of the four Proud Boys. Uh, I know that's one of the, one of the, the, the guilty. For, oh, sorry. The, not, you're right. Sorry. The conviction. guilty, convicted of seditious conspiracy, Enrique Cario. Yeah. And for, was it three others too? But yeah, three others. I and find Tario being the leader, the national leader of the Proud Boys. I found this. I and first off, I think in my, I am of the belief that anyone who had either entered into the Capitol or planned entering into the Capitol is a terrorist by definition. I think we can. If you are outside of the Capitol, if you're protesting, that's an entirely different story Correct. than going into the Capitol. And, and I think those two are often conflated in the media, and they shouldn't be. But the fact is, if you went into the Capitol, I'm sorry, you're a terrorist. You you went in to enact violence for a political purpose that is the textbook definition of terrorism. So I do applaud our justice system for getting this one right and convicting these individuals who were terrorists. I wanted to bring this up because I actually have a fun connection with the Proud Boys. And so I don't know if you knew this. I have some fun connections with the Proud Boys. I know you, but yours are more more violent than that. So I used to work for a newspaper called the Central Florida Post, which was run by a Proud Boy. In fact, it was run by a gay Proud Boy, which is the funniest thing to me still. It is a flamboyantly gay Proud Boy. And we're still good friends. And we I hung out with them. And it was it's a group of people that definitely I would describe as a toxic masculinity group is at least how I knew them. And I never saw them as violent in terms of what they did on January 6th. In fact, I have seen them in peaceful protests before, but I have, you know, I didn't really have the impression, at least from the group that I was with, that they were a violent and aggressive group to this level of extent. I just thought they were just like immature guys. They characterize themselves as, as Western chauvinists. Yeah, Western chauvinists. You have to declare if you want to join. Your first step is to declare yourself a Western chauvinist who won't apologize for building the modern world or something like that. And then you have to let everyone punch your stomach for 15 seconds while you name four breakfast cereals. And if you, it's a very, they're very weird traditions. They have a no masturbation rule, which would explain why they're so violent. <laughs> but no, they're, I did not know about you did the not know the masturbation rule. rule. They have a no masturbation rule. That is going to go <laughs> into my Twitter here, no? <laughs> Fantastic. Make sure people know that poor Enrique is not going to, what's he going to do in jail? He can't masturbate. <laughs> I know how that's going to go. But anyway. <laughs> oh my God. Huh? You're going to have another gay proud boys. What's going to oh happen? <laughs> no, but no, I think it's important. And there's a lot of issues when it comes to January 6th, both with our side and how we're, we've been almost justifying it. But there are different issues like, I know, like, for example, people in Congressman Donald's staff, they're trying to ensure that there's trials and due process with a lot of those that are in, in jail right now. And there's concerns of civil liberty uh, violations. I don't know much about it. But again, if those are issues, those are separate issues. But again, we have to at least start. There's always there's a basic starting point, And we actually have to start with the point that if you entered into the Capitol, you're a terrorist, I think. So, but I was going to say, I'm totally in favor of criminal justice reform. I'm not in favor of using the Proud Boys as an example. Yeah, they're not treatment. the they're not the worst, getting the worst treatment right now. Um, I, I, I'm here. I don't know all of the stories, but I do find it interesting that the Proud Boys are getting mistreated in jail. But when other individuals and other criminals are so conservatives, usually don't care. So right. there is a bit of hypocrisy there. And I 100 right. I 100 percent agree with you there. And as someone who spent time in jail myself. In fact, at a young age. So, yeah, there's. Yeah, let's, but let's talk about criminal justice reform where it belongs in the discussion on criminal justice reform. Not about this. This is not an excuse to let these folks off the hook. Exactly. I 100% agree with you. 
if you were outside, if you, if you were at a Trump rally, if you were outside the Capitol and you were not breaking barriers or beating up cops, you were totally fine ex- exercising your First Amendment right. Mm. If you entered the Capitol, yeah. you destroyed property, then yeah, you were in the wrong. And yeah. what we saw here with the Proud Boys in Southwest Florida in particular, Enrique Terrio had been, Terrio had been active on the East Coast, actually, not as much over here on the West Coast because we have other actors doing things over here. <laughs> but the seditious conspiracy charge that was he was convicted of himself and the four others was related to their organization and the Oath Keepers coming together yeah. to enact a plan that they called the 1776 plan. The 1776 plan was to actually occupy several of the congressional buildings, get into the Capitol, take Nancy Pelosi hostage. Um, these were as well and demand a re-election um, using paper ballots. They have this written. You can find all of this information online. <laughs> yeah, no, but yeah, that's yeah, so that's the actual. So that's the that's oh wow. That's what they've been. So that was a real thing. And but of course, these are that's a small group of folks in the large group. And of that's the other thing too. Yeah, exactly. That the Proud Boys, like a lot of these organizations, are have national leaders and all that stuff, but they're generally decentralized. But they, so let's talk about the ones in Southwest Florida and what they did. So oh, here in Southwest Florida. You have personal experience with them. I have personal reason. experience with them. And actually, <coughs> the fellow that I had personal experience with, that Daniel Scott Milkshake of the Hurricane Coast Proud Boys, sometimes he's listed as being from uh, Bradenton and other areas. I met him on Marco Island where he crossed a police line to try and talk to me and Chantal during a speaking event, Christian speaking event, actually. So... It was, I was very worried actually when he crossed the police line because there was a police line for a reason because there was like a couple hundred of them shouting at us all day. He was, he behaved himself at that point in time, but I was very uneasy during the conversation. Now, fast forward to January 6th, not only was Daniel Scott part of a group of uh, Hurricane Coast Proud Boys that met with Roger Stone on January 3rd in Naples, so Mm. that was part of the coordination. So actually... I believe him. He didn't do, he wasn't convicted of seditious conspiracy. Christopher Wurl. Christopher Wurl is a local cowboy who is also part of this. He was the bear spray mm. fellow. The role that Daniel Scott played was that he was the first person to break the police line going into January 6th. That was his role. He's a big dude. He's six foot four or something. He's a Ooh, big right. guy. And his role was to go in and he beat the hell out of a bunch of cops. And he led the people into the Capitol. There's video of this. And then he actually ended up pleading guilty to that, to trying to obstruct an act of Congress, as well as assault and battery on police officer. Christopher Wuerl is still waiting, I believe. Ooh. May, actually it's coming up this week. But Christopher Wuerl is the bear spray fellow. You saw him in the January 6th foot of videos. Bear spraying police officers. Same kind of thing, though. But he, hmm. this was a, a coordination. Southwest Florida had a lot of coordination. I do not know about other decentralized Proud Boys all over the country. Yeah. But these were the fellows that were said to go, quote, unquote, full fash, like yeah. full fascism. This is as much as they wanted to portray themselves as a male drinking club and maybe they had silly rituals. Yeah. There was enough folks in there with this idea that they could be radicalized and they could use violence to disrupt the proceedings of the election in this country. Yeah. And I think you, yeah, I think you're right there. I think that there's definitely coordination between a lot of these right-wing groups in order to do this. There was some level of planning. It wasn't just randomized. And again, just very glad that justice is finally getting served here when we're getting some results on this. Yeah, I think people should be held accountable. I think if you attack the United States, you should be held accountable. Absolutely. I think if you try to undermine our elections, you should be held accountable. And I don't care if that's, somebody within our country or from outside of our country. Mm. I think that I have always taken very serious our constitution and our democracy. Mm. And I believe that our institutions can make it through. I hope that we can restore faith and rebuild some of these institutions that have been eroded and that there can be justice served. I think that we still have an opportunity if enough good Americans will stand up corruption and people who try to attack us. Absolutely. And this was an attack. On our country. Let us not forget that. This was an account. So a uh, resident here from South Florida, Laura, Laura, was talking about the time that Whirl showed up to a Collier County meeting begging for help. I don't know which, which Whirl's which one. Oh, for Whirl. Oh, okay. Bear spray. Okay. Bear spray. So he came to. He for, was under house. 
arrest and he was allowed to go to a Collier County Commission meeting to to I don't know plead, get at plead his case ask get support who knows yeah, what is it what would the county be able to do they can't if he's under house arrest they can't Nothing. like yeah no but it was a political ploy and he did it it's like these different fellows are trying to get people on their side you know because I think that getting powerful people is one of the only ways that they're gonna not be held accountable yeah that's true if they if they have enough people defending them that are in power but again that this is conviction is the right move these i think we beat the dead horse on this one but i think we can both agree that don't attack our country right. whether you're a democrat or a republican i don't care the cause you don't attack your country peacefully protest as much as you want but protest, don't get a movement, don't get right? your, your congressman your senator your governor uh get in, active get involved run for office those are all ways to make a change if only the world just ran for office instead of. Lord, don't encourage it. <laughs> anyway, we have this whole thing about felons in Florida too, so we'll see. All right, so what's the next thing that you want to talk Debt about? Debt ceiling. Oh, so we're finally having this discussion. It actually looks like Biden and McCarthy are going to be meeting Tuesday. I actually really hope that that there's some discussion and level of compromise here. So I, <coughs> excuse me. So for those that haven't been following, we did, the Republicans did send out their proposal, limit, cap, grow, something like that. Basically what it would do is it would bring us back to a pre-COVID spending. It would limit spending, spending growth for 1% for the next 10 years and a few other things. I think it does eliminates a tax credit, an environmental tax credit. It prevents the student loan relief. Some of it, I like some of it, I don't, but overall, I think there are good and reasonable proposals. Biden, of course, is saying that that I'm not budging on anything. I'm not. We want a clean debt ceiling increase. I don't think that's the right move. I'm hoping at minimum, maybe we get one to one to three months additional to actually have a discussion. But just having a clean debt ceiling, I don't think it should be on the table anymore. And I know that we've raised it before with Republican presidents and Democrat presidents. But the fact is that we are in this situation because of the budget. And we have to have a discussion on the budget and on spending if we're going to be talking about the debt ceiling. They're not separate issues. Yes, they are. They are not. Yes, they are. And I'll tell you why. So here's the thing. Those sound like very reasonable things to talk about during the budget discussion. Mm. We have a budget discussion coming up at the end of the year. Let's talk about it then. Let's talk about what those priorities look like. This is holding America's economy hostage for the extreme right fringes of the Republican Party. There's nothing short of it. Here's the other thing. The debt ceiling was actually a concept that was put in place in 1917 and then formalized in 1939 because there hadn't been a formal budget and appropriations process put forth in the Congress. It was a way to expedite spending in Congress before we had a budget process. Once we had the budget process, that was codified through the rules in Congress in the late 70s, the debt ceiling became irrelevant because mm. we had another way to decide what we were going to spend. The way that it had been before was, okay, the Congress pre-approved this much money, so whatever they wanted to spend money on, as long as it was under that cap, was approved. We do not need it. These are two processes, the debt ceiling being the archaic one, mm. that are duplicative, and now it has been realized, and this was actually Newt Gingrich was one of the very first ones that realized that you could weaponize this to make political points. And they brought us to the brink in 2012, and our economy suffered from it. Even just coming to the precipice of the debt ceiling in 2012 made it so SMPs and Moody's downgraded American credit worthiness. No, I remember. We cannot play Russian roulette with our economy overall it's bad policy so i will where i do agree with you is that and i've said this before i think we need to eliminate the debt ceiling altogether i am tired of these debt ceiling fights and i have proposed a debt ceiling elimination balanced budget deal but the fact of the matter is, is this is the congress is not going to put pass a clean debt ceiling bill and the president over here is saying that he's not going to budge what I am hoping is that there is somewhere we can meet in the middle to actually have this discussion. And if we can't even have this discussion, and I can see what you're saying, yeah, okay, we need to have it. The Republicans have been holding this issue over Democrats' head every single time there's been a Democratic president. 
they actually, by the way, they actually mm. repealed the law that automatically raised the debt ceiling with the budget. It's called the get part law, get part rule. Mm. And that was repealed specifically so that the debt ceiling could be used as a bludgeon against mm. Democratic presidents. It's total horseshit. And to say that there's Democrats are going to compromise or Republicans are going to compromise on this. That is exactly what Obama did in 2012. And what did they do? They, the Republicans at the time, under Eric Cantor and Paul Ryan, mm. they took, and McCarthy, by the way, the young guns at the time, they took it all the way to the edge to the point where they seriously hurt our overall economic position in the world for decades to come, by the way. So this is, I'm totally on Biden's side saying, no, we should not negotiate because negotiation is not going to happen. That's a, that is not something that's going to happen. There will be no negotiation. He put out that plan because he had to, because the far right part of the party, including the Club for Growth folks like Byron Donalds, told him that's mm. what he had to do to get his speakership and that there's going to be no, no negotiation on it from the right anyway. So even if there was a concession, right, from the Democrats, that is not actually going to lead to any change. They're going to be bludgeoned and we shouldn't actually be doing this. We shouldn't no. be doing this. This is a dis component of our Congress. First off, if he doesn't, first, I would disagree that if he doesn't, if he doesn't even want to come to the table and have any talks or negotiations, and I'm sorry, I think he would be the one responsible for any crisis that happens once we default in June. Now, I can see your concern and because unfortunately less. Yes, my party has a history of not wanting to compromise on these type of issues. And especially with how Speaker McCarthy got the speakership. He could very much lose his speakership just over this issue. Yep. So it's a very tense situation. So I get that there. But if he's not, again, if Joe Biden is not even willing to come in with a counteroffer, then. No, the counteroffer is do it during the budget time. This is a duplicative process. We used to have it partnered mm-hmm. under the Gephardt rule. Republicans rolled that back so they could use it to perpetuate the idea that they are the party of fiscal responsibility so that they could actually have almost every single conversation in the Congress be focused on fiscal policy because it's the only game they have, the only horse, the priest. It's the only, it's the one, it's the weekend. (laughs) Is it really? But no, it is the, it is our main horse in the race because it's the one where a lot of people agree with us on fiscal issues and economic issues. Most people are fiscal conservatives and want to be fiscally responsible or want their government to be what they think is fiscally responsible. But I'll tell you what, it's fiscally irresponsible to hold the entire functioning of the Mm. government and the creditworthiness of the United States over a handful of extreme budget cuts that are not going to pass. They're not likely to pass through the Congress and they're definitely not going to pass through the Senate. These aren't extreme though. Yes, they are. How are cutting back? Cutting back to pre COVID levels is extreme. Adding this to the debt ceiling discussion is an extreme political tactic. Cutting the various components of the spending that were in there, including things that have already been negotiated, including there was there were rollbacks to SNAP, there were rollbacks to the the debt for the students. These are widely popular plans that are going to help people that will actually be an overall boon to our economy that are already decided upon, by the way. We already have the budget for this year. Okay. So why are we renegotiating the budget? Why are we renegotiating things that we've already decided to spend on? Because the Republicans know that every time they get in front of a camera, they can say, oh, fiscal conservative, we're being responsible. And people don't have any idea how the federal budget works. And so it sounds good. These are hostage-taking political tactics, and I stand staunchly opposed to them. So let me ask, so if we did this during the budgetary process, do you think it would pass? What would we be able to actually, this, this, as a know, budget. Most of them are terrible ideas, so I hope they don't. But that's going to be a negotiation for the Republican caucus to be able to get things passed through the budget. That's where this goes. And the fact that the Republicans have rolled back the Gephardt rule, the fact that we keep having this is nothing more than political hostage taking. And I'm freaking yeah. done with it. So I'm with Biden. And I'm Biden, bless his heart, is meeting with. <laughs> yeah, with and I'm very glad they're at least having that meeting. That's and we need to have these discussions. And if you know what, I I could understand where you're coming from, and but you know what, we need to start having. I think that the plan, the spending plan itself, I disagree with you in the sense that I think it is a good spending plan with some different things that I may not like, but altogether I like it. But 
I would like that passed, whether it's through the debt ceiling process or through the budget. But my thing is, if we do it through the budget, it wouldn't get passed either. And so I... That sounds like a mm, problem for your Senate election mm, committee to deal with. That's a good point. That's a fair <laughs> point as well. But that's a, that, that, that's true too. So Let's why face are you it, trying it was, to shove something down the American throat on a place that it doesn't belong, which is purely a political tactic, and it's not going to win anyway? Why? Because, because it's a bullshit political tactic that's going to get people up in arms because they don't understand the difference between the debt ceiling mm. and the budget. And they can say, oh, look, Democrats are trying to spend. That's all this is for. This is all for political posturing. And I'm tired of it. I know many of the American people are tired of it. Mm. And frankly, because I was actually listening to a whole analysis of this on the way down. Sorry. So I'm like, I'm <laughs> You're ready like ready. this debate. You were ready. That's how I was like, oh, that's the gap heart rule, all this stuff. But here's the thing. As I'm sitting there listening to this analysis of the, and it was on the 2012 debt ceiling crisis that led to the downgrading. What I was thinking of is ultimately, what is the end game, right? Why, why is fiscal conservatism so attractive? Oh, you're, oh, you're, I, asking, like, I, I, what's, what's, why is this, aside from, oh, I'm a responsible person, so I'm not going to spend money irresponsibly. Aside from that, like, what, what do people expect out of a governing system, system that has extreme fiscal conservatism? What's the attractiveness? I think for all, it's a different things for different people, but for me, it's what is the role of government? And a lot of us in the Republican side don't think the role of government is to be a provider. It's to be at most a protector, protecting of our liberties, protecting of our safety, not really being the provider of opportunities, but creating the environment and when these opportunities can grow and thrive. So that's adorable. Yeah. Adorable. I'm glad you think it's adorable, but I think it's adorable because it's clearly not based in reality. There's not a single government in the world that functions solely on that. No, you're absolutely right. So what? So if and if just given that, okay, great. So no roads, no airports, no well, ports, no um, roads and airports. Yeah, again, that goes into what protection. I was. Well, again, look at that's I, providing I, again. That's collective provision. I mentioned as well. Okay. That that you allow creating the environment for opportunities. So they should protect the environment. Environment for opportunities is what I said, okay, but yes, so they, they should protect the environment too, I would actually say, because right, the environment right. is a part of natural resources that the government should be involved in. Yes, I do agree okay, with you great. there. So now we have national parks and we have preservation in the, mm. the EPA. Well, again, That's and then what you're also, well. okay. and again, when we're talking about fiscal conservatives and fiscal responsibility, it's less about the government roles itself as well as how the money's being spent. So we're talking about wasteful spending, excessive spending. So you mean building a fighter jet that will never get off the ground? Absolutely. Because yeah, that's something that our, our Republican side has problems with all the time is the defense industry spending. that's the largest portion of the budget. Oh, of course. Right. And all of the earmarks that go to different Congress members. So like dis, di, District X, District Y, because mm -hmm. of all the lobbyists. Right. And then the second, the other components but, are the entitlements, right? So the Medicare and Medicaid, which are wildly popular and actually help boost our economy overall. Mm -hmm. They help people who are seniors make sure that they're independent. So they yeah. actually keep more women engaged in the workforce. That's what global analysis of pension programs tells oh, us. Oh, yeah. Social Security is a good program, but that's something that's paid into. So that's not how that works. No, and that's yeah, how that's, we think it works. Oh, you're right. Yes, that's how it works. Yeah, we it's all. It's not a general government expenditure. There's no secret lockbox, and I know because I worked on the lockbox bill when I was in Congress, there is no secret lockbox to Social Security. The calculation for Social Security goes back to you as a person who was working. That's how much you worked and paid in. There's no government fund that is Social Security. There's a trust that helps to buoy that, but Social Security has always been paid out of the general expenditure. Really? Yep. I have not, I did not actually know that. I know most people don't understand how our economy and our budget works. <laughs> but I have, and this is why it's, and I was just joking about it being adorable, but it's a really, this whole concept mm. that is being pitched to people about fiscal conservatism is a gross understatement of how complex our it's economy is. It's a generalization, is. and I will agree with you there. And we, there are so many amazing things in this country that we rely on that other countries do not have, that we would hate to not have. We would hate to not have the ability to have regulation on our foods, to know that when we walk into a grocery store, that food is healthy and safe. That's a thing, that's a luxury that other countries do not have. We have regulations on businesses to make sure they're not defrauding us. We have 
regulation on investments to make sure that we're not losing our money yeah. to fraudsters. There, these things do not exist in all these other places. And every time that we come up and have a law or a budget item that is in front of the U.S. Congress and at the federal level, it's basically because at some point in our past, Americans got screwed on that thing. And so I think that we forget that. And our government is very big. It's the largest employer in the it country. Is. So we're actually talking about jobs now. Talk about jobs, y'all. <laughs> so you start cutting the budget, you start cutting jobs. But nobody wants to cut jobs, right? No, there's a lot of Republicans who are okay with cutting public sector jobs, actually. Right, but, but that actually just means jobs, and that means it is, No, you're right, and, and that's absolutely true. I don't think it's something we should be seeing as a favorable thing. If we'd like to protect job creators, then we should be protecting the mm. federal government. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's number one I, technically, I guess. every single area across the country, especially smaller areas, the public sector is usually the largest employer. So mm. right here in, in Lee County, Lee Health is a public nonprofit. They're one of the top employers. The school district, top mm. employers, that's a public sector. Lee County itself is one of the top employers. Mm. Those are the three top employers yeah. in our area. They're all government. So we should cut those jobs for fiscal conservatism. How about the police? Oh, no, we, we should keep their budget. That's what I'm saying. So we get into this oversimplification, but when we really start talking about which part You're do absolutely you right. to be cut? You know, it's, it's, I'm very glad you have brought this up because it, it is something that does get lost in these type of discussions is if we're cutting, what exactly are we cutting? And I do think that Republicans do generally need to be more more specific when we're having these discussions. Uh, but uh, when I when we're talking more broadly on fiscal conservatism, I don't think fiscal conservatism is a bad thing. I think even you would agree that you wouldn't want our government to be you would want our government to be spending at least within its means, not spending wastefully, spending its money wisely and smartly and efficiently for the programs that it should be doing and then not and i would say with republicans we don't want our government spending on areas where it doesn't have a constitutional authority to spend and that's an entirely different <laughs> discussion because there's a lot of debates between the extremes the of commerce clause. the commerce clause and that's definitely the extreme libertarians think that you know, they don't want to live in a libertarian world. I don't. So no, and I will say that too. I hope. <laughs> so Mad Max has showed me. Oh my gosh. So I do agree that I want responsible responsibility in government spending, but I want to do that through efficient and effective programming. So I want to make sure that we're meeting goals, spending the money on that, and making our collective ideas come true. I want to do it. I'm an evaluator by practice. That's yeah. what I want to see. Additionally, I want corruption to end. Because that's where we lose a lot of money along the line, especially as we have a growing kleptocracy and people who are got their hand in the cookie jar, so to speak. I want to see an end of corruption. I yeah. think that the concept of fiscal conservatism overall is total bullshit because it sold people a bill of goods based on an idea of personal responsibility. And frankly speaking, the federal government budget does not work like a household budget. Mm. Not at all. It is a sovereign currency which means that we have the ability to raise capital in multitudes of different ways. And in fact, we create yeah, we the dollar. Create the money. We created dollars to help with COVID. We created dollars to help with Ukraine. That's, that's why we have inflation. We have the capital, not, no, we have, everybody in the world has inflation yeah. right now. It's one of, it's a global yes. phenomenon related to the supply chain issues in the pandemic. But, and that that is actually places that didn't have government intervention also have extremely. No, that's true. Okay. Yeah. So there's components of that. There was a supply increase that made it so that some products were harder to get. But we also had outdated ports because of fiscal conservative bullshit. We only had a handful of mm. deep water ports. We have zero in Florida, two in California, and one on the East Coast. And they were all backed up with items coming from China. Okay? So that was actually if we had invested more in our infrastructure prior to COVID, we would not have had those supply chain issues in a large portion of it. Okay? But the idea that we should not spend, austerity has been proven over mm -hmm. and over again to kill economies. So we should not be talking about on the edge of a recession austerity. Mm. Additionally, we have the capacity as a federal government, as the largest economy in the world, the most robust and diverse economy in the world. This is still true to this day. It's grown over time. It's diversified over time. We have the all of the top 10 of companies in the world in terms of their output in the United States at this time. Okay. We are actually at a higher and more robust state than we've ever been. Mm. And those are facts. 
And that's because we do have everything from research and development to manufacturing to agriculture. So we have, we're a good investment all around in yeah. the private sector and American bonds are the safest bet and have always been. That's why it's so terrible to see the debate discussion on the debt ceiling threaten that capacity for us to raise money. That's why it threatens our entire economy. Because if we can't continue to sell the government bonds because people no longer trust that we have the ability to govern ourselves and that, our, that we'll always pay our bills, then we will lose our ability and our status in the world. So we are a bigger threat to our own economy than China. And that's a fact. That, Americans tend to be our own worst enemy. That is 100% <laughs> true. Again, this is why I hope there is some sort of compromise that comes out on Tuesday, even if it's as simple as just extending it another 90 days to keep these discussions going. I, I do agree with you in the sense that I don't want us to get to that crisis level. But we need to, the reason our debt ceiling is here, the reason we have a high debt is because of spending. So even if they're not procedurally or supposed to be connected, they're connected by nature of the, the fact United that- The United States has always had a debt. That's true, but it should- it, There's it, never it doesn't been make, a single day where we didn't have a debt in the history of the United States. But we shouldn't be, you, we shouldn't be proud of that and we shouldn't be trying to keep increasing Why? it. That's actually a very good question. I know. Why? I actually don't know. I'm going to be honest. That's because somebody's fed you a bunch of bullshit. There is no reason why we can't do this. The whole component is, and the inflation is actually the biggest risk, okay? Inflation is the biggest risk because if you overplay your hand, i.e., you spend more than you have the robustness in your economy to parallel, mm. right? Then you devalue your own currency. You devalue your own system, right? We do not have to worry about debt because we've always had it. And there is no magic day when the debt comes in. Think about it like this. How many people own a home? How many of those people own a home outright? Or do they have a mortgage? They have a mortgage a lot of times, don't they? That's safe debt, isn't it? As long as you have a job and you can keep making that mortgage payment, that's mm. safe debt. In fact, they'll give you another mortgage on top of that mortgage, won't they? Probably. They do. And they'll give you a loan on that mortgage and the value of that house, won't they? So this is actually goes all the way back to the brilliance of leveraging debt for the growth of the country all the way back to Alexander Hamilton. This was the idea is that actually if you can have that debt and manage it well and always have it backed by something strong. So this is why it was also important rolling all the way back to the beginning of this country to have the agricultural base in the south and the manufacturing base in the north come together to pool their debt because that way they had everything they needed and they saw that you could actually invest and leverage that debt. Because you knew that there was something always to back it up. So we should not be afraid of this. As long as it's manageable, as long as we don't have uncontrolled unemployment, as long as we don't have uncontrolled inflation, mm. and I will say right now inflation is high, it's been going down, and we have fiscal and monetary policies to deal with them like we have with the interest rate hikes that we just mm. saw this week as well. That's to manage inflation, okay? But as long as we have that, we are still the most robust economy in the world. And we will not be if we cut out our own legs and our own ability to leverage our debt for the betterment of our country. You definitely humbled me right now because I never really realized I don't know why, what would happen if we, like, what the national debt actually, I don't want to say not the national debt, I know what the national debt is, but what is its actual effect? Because I've never actually given it a lot of thought. You're absolutely right. You just instinctively know it's bad because it's debt. And it's not like there's no such thing as a debt crisis. It's not like right. we can't have a situation in which we have something like we've seen it in Greece and in other countries. But they're not sovereign currencies. They were part that of the EU. And true. that's the difference. So as long as we remain a sovereign currency and mm. we have our own ability to raise capital, mm. we have the ability to sell bonds and we have a strong, robust economy, which we do, and mm. diverse economy, because that's the whole thing too. That is what reduced risk. Yeah. So as long as we have that, we will not have the same situation as in was Greece and Spain, Portugal, some of those places yeah. that were part of the EU. They did not have the ability to do the monetary policy in the same way we do. That's why yeah. we have all these tools. We have the interest rates. We have quantitative easing. We can have buybacks to take things back off the market. And here's the thing, everybody, every other economy in the world wants us to succeed of course. because it is their investments too, right? So even people talk about, oh, China owns a whole bunch of our debt. 
Yeah, they do. So do a whole bunch of other actors. Actually, the from world. my understanding, we're the biggest holders of our own debt at one. It's people who buy the, the bonds, the bonds government right? Government. But here's the thing: there's not <laughs> one special day in the future where everybody will come in to collect the debt because it will collapse the global economy. Now, however, we do have the possibility of something like a bank run, like we saw recently with the Silicon Valley Bank, mm-hmm. if people no longer have the full faith and credit of the United States. So that's why the debt ceiling is so important. If people think that the value of the bonds are going to crash, i.e. a bunch of dickheads in Congress <laughs> are trying to mess with the debt ceiling and people go, oh shit, America can't mm. get it together. I better cash in my bonds before they get downgraded. Mm. That's what we're going to have a problem with. That's fair. I will say, and like I keep saying, I do think we need to eliminate the debt ceiling because I do think we have these fights way too often. I, however, again, do not think this proposal is unreasonable and I would like it to pass either through the normal budgetary means or through these means. But you're absolutely right. We need to, the debt ceiling itself seems ridiculous and I've thought so for quite some time. I have suggested, like my grand bargain is, okay, eliminate the debt ceiling and then propose a balanced budget amendment. And then just give that to the states and then see what happens there. And then that's the deal. That, to me, I think would be fair. I think that would be a very strong compromise. But I do think we we do have these fights. I remember when we had it in 2012 and when we were downgraded. But I also remember us, like you said, surviving because our economy is strong. And so even if it does default or something happens, regardless of who's to blame, but... Here's the reason why we don't want to balance budget amendment. Because actually, they've been trying to pass a balanced budget amendment for a very long time. Even Democrats have proposed it. Bill Nelson actually proposed a balanced budget amendment when he was in Again, this is adorable for us to think that's how it's going to work. But here's the thing. Our federal budget, our federal macro economy is not the same as a household budget. In fact, households don't balance their budget. I already just explained to you how because most people have mortgages. Most people have credit cards, student loan debt, et cetera, so forth. You want a new air conditioner in the house? Guess what you're going to get? You're going to get a loan. You're going to have debt. So no one runs on a fully in-out basis mm. like that when you're in a robust and sophisticated economy like we are here in the United States. Why would it be the expectation that we would run on that at the federal level? Furthermore, if we had something like that, there would have been so many problems during COVID. We would not have been able to make the moves that we needed to free mm. up the cash, to do any of the stimulus, to do the plea plan, to get the money to to put towards personal protective gear and all that other kind of stuff. because we would have been constricted by our own rules. My personal opinion is let's go ahead, shed all of this preconceived notions about how we think the economy works and actually look at how it does work, which is we benefit from cash infusions into the economy. We benefit by government investment in the economy. We benefit because a whole bunch of people are actually employed by the federal government doing things that we collectively all together think are pretty sweet, like mm. having roads and airports and air traffic controllers and deep sea ports and border patrol and FBI and CIA to protect us, right? Yeah. There's so many things that they do. So let's invest in that. Mm. Let's not be constrained by this very flawed vision that we operate in the same way as a household budget. Let's make the expenditure we do. Let's pair it with accountability. Let's pair it with making sure that we are getting the best bang for our buck. And Let's make sure that nobody's corrupt. And eliminate, yeah, efficient spending, wasteful spending. I can get behind smart government spending on certain on programs that are good for the economy and good for people and give us a return on investment in the long run and are good for our community. I can absolutely agree with that. But I think when we talk about, again, with fiscal conservatism is what, how much are we wanting to spend and what are the rules? And you're, as Republicans, we tend to have a very, Big problem. I mentioned this a lot about Tallahassee, where we have an issue with the law of unintended consequences. And we need to be very specific more often when we're talking about the budget because it's appropriations. It's a lot. You have to go line item by line item, I would say, to really understand which ones, what you would need to be cut, what should be cut, what shouldn't be cut. And I can see what you're saying about not treating it like a like your budget at home, but you should treat it as some sort of budget where you're looking at what you need and what you don't need and what's a priority and what's not a priority. Absolutely. It's yeah. not a free-for-all. Yeah. Let's be clear. It's not a free-for-all, but it's, mm. it is 
making sure that we're investing and investing people where it's going to matter. But I think that we just get wrapped up in this idea because really, in my opinion, fiscal conservatism is more of a feeling that's attached to personal responsibility than it is a sound policy. That I can understand that. Yeah, because so much of our party generally talks about personal responsibility. And even then, I tend to disagree with how extreme we go to that ex- that extent, because even like me, someone like me with autism, who knows that I'm not someone who ha- had it easy pulling himself up by the bootstraps. You can need bootstraps to pull yourself up by your bootstraps, <laughs> as it's often said. So there are areas where sometimes either government programs or nonprofit programs with government assistance, which I personally prefer because I would rather there be a, a private entity or a charity that knows what it's doing receiving grant funds than the government running it. Um, but We'll talk about that policy we can, another day. Oh, okay. <laughs> <Another> <laughs> not that I don't love my nonprofit partners. I do, no. but actually, if you think about it like this, the whole reason that we have nonprofits is they are actually government funded. Of course. Yeah, no, that's absolutely true. That's they can get incentives. They they, taxes on it. That's a good point. Well, it's the same. It's a revenue versus an expenditure, right? They don't bring in the revenue, so they're a net loss. So the government is, in fact, paying for nonprofits. So you're paying, if you're paying for it one way or the other, <laughs> it's just a matter of how you want to do it. This was a very interesting discussion, I will say. It definitely was humbling for me. But no, Listen, this is what we're... Economics is like... Complicated. I failed complicated. it. I failed it's it twice. Tough. I actually know I felt it three times. I'm pretty you know, sure. That was the one thing that like broke my heart one day is, and this is a whole nother discussion on higher ed, but there was a discussion at one point at FTCU about eliminating the major of economics. And they were saying, oh, there's not a lot of people that are enrolling in it. And I think part of it is there's not like a clear job of who's the economist, right? Mm-hmm. It's tough, right? And so people were being dissuaded from it. But I think that it's so important for people to talk about it. I talk about it in my classes mm. when I teach as well, because I want young people go read about it, figure it out, learn about microeconomics and macroeconomics, because this is how we really understand how things work and how our votes work in government as well. So we yeah. want people who are going to be investing in us and we want to know and be able to understand how all these things work. Yeah. End there. Yes, end there. <laughs> Definitely end there. I, again, very much enjoyed this conversation. Oh, always good good to have these every single week. So we'll be here, of course, next week, where I'm pretty sure we'll be discussing. Um, and I'll be much more prepared. Session. Yes, and I'll be much more prepared this time. No, like we have to go through and see. Also, there'll be the signings this week, so what gets signed. Oh, that's There's true. There's veto campaigns going on, too, as well. So you can check out my Instagram. There's stuff. actually, <laughs> just so you're that? aware, I don't know. So the Republican, our local Republican Party is meeting in the next, no, next, not this coming Tuesday, but the following Tuesday. And there's a resolution for us to vote on that is going to condemn the Republicans for the resigning to run law. So our local Republican Party, there will be a discussion on whether or not we are going to voice our opposition to the resigner own law. I do intend to vote yes on it because, like I said on the episode before, I think it was very wrong to write a law just for one man. And that is exactly what we are doing. So, But I am going to propose an amendment because I think it is too strong against the Republican against Republicans. And we are the Republican Party and we shouldn't be attacking our fellow Republicans. <laughs> Probably not a good idea. But I think it's I think it's very interesting. And it's something, of course, we had talked about last week. But again, very happy. Fill us in next week on how I will goes. definitely it'll be yeah, I think it's May 16th. So the following Sunday, I will let All you guys right. know what that vote was and how it went. And hopefully it's gonna be a little bit more organized because it's been a hectic I won't go into too much detail. We'll go ahead and tell, tell Mike I said hi. <laughs> <laughs> right. You guys have a wonderful rest of your Thanks day. We'll see you next on. week. <laughs>